welcome to the Soul Revival Church Podcast. My name is Melissa Poisel, and my husband TJ and I are the lead pastors here at Soul Revival. Thank you so much for listening in. We pray that today's message is encouraging and inspiring. Man, whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, it's good to be able to trust in that truth and that promise that God is good, that He's with us no matter what. He will meet us in the midst of our darkness and brokenness, and we can still cry out to Him and know that He is the anchor in the midst of any ocean and any storm that we might feel like we're in in that moment. God, I thank you. I thank you that you're here right now and that you're in this place. We pray for your favor in our lives, God, that you would help calm the seas and the storms, but we thank you that you are the anchor that holds us down when we need it, and that you are good no matter what we're facing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. You can grab a seat. Say hi to some people on your way down. Wave. Air high five. Air hugs. How's everybody doing today? Good? I feel like we just sang good, but everybody didn't sound as good as I think you could. How's everybody doing today? There we go. There we go. Man, hopefully everyone had a great 4th of July. I know last week we had an opportunity to mix things up a little bit differently since the 4th was on a Sunday and we got to hang out at the beach as a church and it was a blast. And if you weren't able to make it, just know that you were missed. Uh, But we'll be looking forward to different opportunities to connect as a church going forward. Uh, If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name's TJ. My wife Melissa and I are lead pastors here at Soul Revival Church and we're excited to be here at the branch to continue to connect and come together each and every week. And uh, just to let you know, keep you updated, we've been in a series called Summer Mixtape. It's been a lot of fun where it's been a collection of talks where, you know, might be different topics along the way, but the last two messages we had were about a giant slayer and a giant slayer too. Um, And I feel like God was like, you can't stop short of a trilogy. Anybody else ever feel that way? Can't stop short of the trilogy. So if you're taking notes today, the title of this message is Giant Slayer 3. Now, if you've missed anything along the way, that's cool. You can go back, you can watch online. Uh, But I'll recap some of the giants that we've been talking about and discussing. And in the first week, there were a few of them. So we've been studying the life of David. You know, David who slayed Goliath. And we learned about the giant that was Goliath that really encompasses what the enemy was. But he also faced some other giants along the way when it came to family, and it's not always some negative toxic environment, but the family shapes and forms who we are. Um, So that that was one of the areas of his life when he had some brothers that were doubting what he was doing, but it's a giant that a lot of us might face as well. And then there was the giant of superiority or someone that might be above you. Um, And then our last message, we spent the whole message on a frenemy when we talked about Saul or the king that was before David, that he would ultimately come in to place with. And the reason why we've been studying David and what's been really cool about it is because you think of slaying a giant, right? We get really pumped and we hear about this story of David slaying this giant and there's this victory and you envision him walking off into the sunset and we forget about the part two or the day afterwards. And a lot of us have faced moments and struggles within our lives where we've overcome a battle and then you feel like you face another battle. And it can be frustrating and it might feel like you're alone and you're the only one who continues to go through that. But that's what's so cool about the Bible is because story after story is about overcoming adversity. Nothing seems fair or right as you read through the people within the Bible and these stories that we get to dive into that actually took place of saying, you know what, actually when you're following God, you find yourself in a whole lot of battles. You find yourself fighting a whole lot of giants. 
but we can have victory through God. And through David, we're learning about some of these different giants and there was just, there was one more giant we had to get to, you know? So we're gonna be in 2 Samuel 11, if you've got your Bible with you today. If you don't, it's cool. We will be throwing it on the screen. Um, outside of that, there's a free Bible app. What, we're gonna make it available to you as easily as we can. And if anything, I'm gonna read it to you, okay? 2 Samuel 11.1, 1. it says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent off Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much. We thank you that you're here and that you're with us. We know that you've got a plan and a purpose through all of it. God, I pray that you would help me get out of the way and Holy Spirit, whatever you've got to say today to whoever's listening, whether in this room, online, or in the future, you've got a plan through it all, God. So we just honor you. We worship you and we praise you today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Man, but a trilogy, I love trilogies. You think of some favorite trilogies. If you don't put the Godfather in there, I think you got a problem. Some people are looking at me like, Godfather, what is that? Okay, we'll watch it sometime. We'll watch it on AMC. It's edited. <laughs> Lots of violence, you know, old school trilogies. But I also love Cars. That's a classic trilogy, right? A little Disney action. Star Wars fans, there's three trilogies. That's how serious that is, you know. There's nine total movies, but they're faced in these different trilogies. But in this trilogy of David's life, there's one more giant that he faces that we've got to spend some time on. You ready for it? I think everybody looks ready. Inner me. Inner me. This is the fifth giant that we're going to study. Like there's lots of different giants, lots of different things that we might face, but the inner me can be, I would argue, one of the most challenging and difficult giants to face these battles against ourselves and what's going on in our minds and going on within the actions and the things that we might do within our lives. And David fell into that same struggle. So I wanna read that verse for you again that we kick things off with, where it says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So David has been having all of this success. He has been going out and conquering anybody that he faced. All these battles continue to be won. And you hear how he's sending out his general to go fight these battles. And they're accomplishing it. And they're winning and they're slaying the enemy. But watch what it says next. But David remained in Jerusalem. See, this is important because when kings went off to war, that was something they did. They went with their armies. And one of the things that David started to face as he battled that giant, the inner him, was complacency. Because he got so used to winning these wars and these battles. He got so used to like being a part of it that he started to send his troops off knowing that they would win and thought, I don't even need to be there. Complacency. It's like being so focused on ourselves, but we're not thinking about the, ball the battles and the challenges that we might face from it. Because you fall into complacency. And I think a lot of us can correlate with that. Whether it's through victory and success you're having in your life, and there's complacency there, or maybe you've been in challenges and life's been struggle. Things have been hard and frustrating and you're like, you know what, why even bother, why even try? And you just find yourself sitting kind of stagnant. And complacency can be the start of a lot of challenges that we can face. It's like a domino effect. And that's what happened with David. He found himself in complacency. So he's sending off his team 
Could you imagine that? Like, I'm visualizing it from a sports perspective. You see, I got my put the guns down jersey on. Shameless plug. The league kicks off today that we got to sponsor, and these are the jerseys that we got to bless that league with, so they'll be wearing them, which is going to be really cool. But if, you, if you're a part of a team and a member of a team, could you imagine not going to the battle? Or in this case, he's like the coach and not showing up with this team. But here he was, just sending them off and finding himself sitting here in complacency. But if we look at what happens next, 2 Samuel 11, 2-3, one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. PG-13 version. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So, man, he got complacent. Now he got really comfortable. He's just chilling in his bed all day. And he's sitting up top, and he's just looking out. And sometimes, like, we get so comfortable in our sin that we don't even realize it's sin. Ooh, that one might have hurt a little. Because here David is, he was complacent, didn't even go off to war, but now he's so comfortable chilling in his bed, he's just like, his name's David, he's a, one after God's own heart, but a bit of a peeping Tom in this moment. I mean, I don't know. Was it, maybe it was a one-time thing, and he just happened to go step out and look over at his kingdom and noticed it, but it's like, I... Seems pretty specific, like it might have been something that was continual, and, and that's something that we face in our own lives. Like when we, get, when we get in a place of comfort, we can find ourselves doing things that we know that we shouldn't do, but it's like, hey, it's just kind of become my pattern and my routine. But here's what David's doing, and he's like, all right, well, who is that? He had his own wives, and things were a little bit different back then. Husband and wife, two people, okay? I'm just laying that out there. This is not the olden days where David got to have multiple wives and all that, but this is even different outside of that as he's looking down from there and he sees this and he finds out, all right, she's married. I'm cool, I'm gonna back off, right? That's what he's gonna do? No? Then David sent messengers to get her. Like, wait a second, you just found out she was married, but he still was like, hey, tell her to come here. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. TMI. It's in the Bible, though. I'm just reading you the Bible, everybody. Some people need to wake up. They'd be like, this is... What I'm saying right now is a little awkward, but it's cool. I'm the one reading it. Then she went back home. So he finds himself in complacency. So he's not where he should have been, because he should have been at war. Could have avoided this whole thing. But then he gets stuck in the comfort of saying, I'm just chilling, doing what I'm going to do. I'm the king. I can do what I want to. Invites this woman back. And then he sleeps with her, knowing that she's married. I'm like, man, he's just taking it to these different extremes time and time again. And I'm going someplace with these C's, okay? I like alliteration. So the third C here is compromise. Because now he was willing to compromise what his faith would tell him to do. He was willing to compromise his morals, willing to compromise things for instant gratification. Nobody has struggled with that, right? And I'm not even talking about stepping out of a relationship or addictions to pornography or alcoholism or drugs. Like, even on social media, somebody liking my post or not. But it's those instant gratifications that we go after in life that can pull us and catapult us into places of sin, which is separating us from God. 
And David was right there with it. And he is still known as the one after God's own heart. So this doesn't define who he is, but it was a struggle that he had. It was this giant that he was facing, the inner me. And you can probably reflect on moments right now within your own life where it's like, yep, I found myself getting complacent. Then I got comfortable where I was at because I wasn't motivated to continue to do what God was calling me to do. And then you're willing to compromise. Eh, that's not too bad. I'm just a little off course until before you know it, here he is sleeping with a woman that's not his wife and was actually the wife of someone else. What areas have you compromised due to complacency and comfort? What spaces within our lives are we looking at and saying, all right, I'm compromising what I know is right or wrong? This is not a message about condemnation either. So I'm just, <laughs> that is a spoiler alert I will share in advance. Because these challenging messages are not always fun to hear. But when we can look at the Bible and reflect on what God brought other people through, it can help us with our own stuff. So sometimes we gotta start from a place of acknowledging the challenges that we face ourselves and the things and the temptations we allow ourselves to step into. Because we live in a broken world that there's a lot of sin in and we, none of us are perfect, not one. So we all fall short. So let's just say that right now, this is an equal playing field. But this is where God, I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to work on our hearts here to say, help me stop being complacent in certain areas within my life. Help me to stop living so comfortably in certain areas of my life that I'm willing to compromise what I know is right and wrong. So David willing to compromise things. And then in 2 Samuel 11:5 it says, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So not only did he do it, now she's pregnant. And David's like, what do I do now? Got himself in a bit of a problem, right? He can't hide that one. He can't pretend that one didn't happen. So guess what he does? He calls Uriah back from the battlefield. Tells him to come and hang out with him. He's about to pour his heart out and tell him how sorry he is. No, that's not what he's doing. <laughs> Here's what he did. He, he saw that situation take place. He knows that she's pregnant. So then he tells Uriah to come back and then he hangs out with him and is like, hey, why don't you just go and chill with your wife? Go home, have a good night. He's trying to control the situation. The next C, control, because after we are willing to make those changes and we're falling into different areas of our temptation, then we want to try to control the situation, right? We want to get a grasp on what's going on. We want to control the narrative. So in his mind, he's thinking, if I just would invite him back, tell him to go by his wife, he hasn't been by her for a long time, he'll probably go hook up with his wife, then she's pregnant, it's his, right? Problem solved. That's not what happens though. This is what's really funny, Uriah didn't go home. And the next morning, David's like, why didn't you go home? I brought you back from war. And this is how he responds, which I think is awesome. And it's a great parallel right here because Saul, who we'd just been studying, was doing these same things to David. And David was the one responding in the right way. And now he finds himself because he had found himself in complacency, in comfort. And now here he is, doing the same thing to Uriah that Saul had been doing to him. And when David questions him on why he did not go back home, this is how Uriah responds. He said, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander, Joab, and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? 
As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Here's this, this guy of honor. He's saying, man, my team is out on the battlefield. I don't know why you called me back right now, but I, could, I couldn't imagine going home and having fun time with my wife when I know that everybody else right now, their life is on the line. The covenant of God is in a tent. So why, how do I get to go home right now? Such honor that he responds with. See, but David didn't stop there. Because he's like, all right, come and hang out for a little bit longer. This time he gets him drunk and says, now go home. Because he thought, surely, if you're intoxicated, look at him control and manipulate this situation. And, and sometimes we go to pretty big extremes to try to control and manipulate our own situations. Let me make sure that I text that person first or... I'm gonna make that phone call first or I'm gonna run to the boss first and make sure I'm explaining to him what was going on because I wanna be able to control the narrative. So David is relentless in this task to try to control the narrative that now he's even trying to get the dude drunk to get him to go home so that he'll sleep with his wife so he doesn't have to admit to the fact that he stepped into sin, that he had gotten her pregnant because he really wanted it to just seem like it was Uriah's. Man, so King David who starts as a young kid in a pasture, who comes, beats Goliath, slaying all these giants, fights the giant of Saul and overcomes that and now has this glory as king. But now the, the giant of the inner me continuing to be a battle and a struggle for him. For him to take one decision after the next that keeps drawing him into a more difficult and challenging space. We can all relate to it, maybe not to that extreme, but to some extent. But here's what's crazy. 2 Samuel eleven fourteen to 15. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. So the guy that wouldn't go do what he wanted him to do, he writes a letter to his boss and says, hey, can you take this for me? And this is what the letter contains. Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Whoa. Not only did he try to control the issue, but when the control didn't work out, he's trying to do a cover-up now. He's trying to cover up what he did. Let's just have the dude die, and then, hey, I can call her in, let her be my wife, it'll be my kid, and we're going to be cool. Looks like he's doing a favor, something good and positive out of it. But that just hit my heart. Like, not only was he willing to do that, that is the same thing that Saul did to David as he sent him off to war. The exact same things that he now finds himself doing as king because he's fighting this inner me. And as we fight that battle of the temptations within our lives or trying to fight for our own worldly success and glory or trying to cover up things that we don't want people to know about, we will do some things that no one will ever understand or even ever expect from you. But God knows our hearts. He sees the deepest, darkest things within us, but he still loves us. He still meets us in it. But here David is and he sends him out to do that. So while, while he's in this position of hanging out in his mansion and in this comfort, he's now sending a guy out to die. And avoiding what you should do puts you in a position to give in to what you shouldn't. There's times we know that there's things that we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be responding in our lives, but we avoid it and it puts us in these positions where we end up making decisions 
to do things that we know we shouldn't. And it's not only harming ourselves and our own hearts, but it's harming others around us. But David was willing to do it. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the, the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of them, some of the men David's armies fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So unlike Saul sending David out, hopeful that he would die, he didn't, but Uriah, the plan worked. The cover-up was effective, or it might seem at this point in time. Now you're probably not making choices and decisions that are causing anyone to die but it might be killing a relationship. It might be killing trust. And David finds himself sitting here, now being responsible for the death of someone else. And after they come back and they let him know about it, we get to hear about Uriah's wife and how she responds. And it says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. From a worldly perspective, the cover-up was successful. There was only a handful of people that knew what happened. But it all started and was triggered by him living in complacency, him so worried about himself but not being on guard for the fight ahead. We need to arm ourselves and be prepared for battle and not just against the giants of this world or the big giant, the enemy in the spiritual realm that we are continuing to fight, but the giant that's our inner selves. In a broken world, our, our hearts will go towards sin. We will have those struggles, every single one of us, but we've got to be ready for those battles. Otherwise, we might find ourselves trying to control the issue trying to cover it up. See, but God sees it and he knows it all. And in this circumstance, God sends a prophet named Nathan to go and talk to David. And he spoke in a parable, which is awesome because Jesus always spoke in parables to kind of make people understand things in a new term. And he goes to him and is like, imagine a guy that is super rich, has a bunch of cattle and sheep, and then there's another guy that's poor and buys himself one sheep. And you have a guest that comes and you take that sheep, that, that one person, the only one they had, and you slaughter it and use that to feed your guest. And David was furious. He says, show me who this is. I'll go after that person. And Nathan's response is, that person is you. Because you're living in luxury. You're living in all of these gifts and these abilities and this wealth. And this man that was fighting on behalf of the army had one wife, but you took his life. Nathan said, you are the man, 2 Samuel 12, 7. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. And God's saying that to each and every one of us. Like, don't compromise. 
Don't get caught in complacency and try to get comfortable. Do not try to have a cover-up to be able to continue to perpetuate the things in your life that are separating you from God because he's saying, I will give you more. I will give you everything that you need because I'm enough. And that is his challenge. But this is how David responds as he was challenged. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He acknowledges it. But there's there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. So this next C I'm going to use is condemnation. Now, we're going to look at what David was thinking and feeling in that moment because it's awesome. There's another circumstance where we can read a psalm about it. But if we step back from that story and into ours for a moment, when you find yourself going down this path and then you've acknowledged the fact that you've made a mistake, how often do you allow yourself to sit in condemnation? I think David may have just for a moment but I think we do a lot and way too often. Where you start to feel so condemned by the actions and the decisions that you've made that you stop texting and replying to your friends that you know love Jesus too because you just feel like they can see it. You stop going to church because in your mind you're thinking, man, I'm a fraud and I can't come in the space where God is. You stop praying or even trying to talk to God because you think, man, I've got to try to fix this thing on my own before I can ever come to God again. And we live in condemnation when we make mistakes. This battle of the giant of the inner me is where the enemy tries to just paw at that. Say, yeah, you did mess up. You did make that mistake. You should feel condemnation. You should feel guilt. You should feel shame. What areas in your life have you done that to yourself? I'm not asking anybody to say it out loud. I'm just saying reflect on that. Where you felt like you're not good enough. Because as I was praying over this moment and over this message, God reminded me of Paul's words that I want to share with you today. I'm going to start in Romans 7, verse 15. And he writes, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. It's like a tongue twister. But he's basically saying, man, I know what I want to do. I know the right choices I want to make, but I keep falling into sin. And the sin that I don't want to do, I keep on doing, and I don't know why, and I'm struggling, and I'm trying to find a way through it. But he continues, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. This struggle and this battle, and I'm so thankful for his vulnerability to share this. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, is saying, look, I'm giving you a glimpse into myself because it's a reflection of who we all are. We all battle sin and we all find ourselves doing the things that we do not want to do. And it's this battle that continues to wage war within us. And he's sharing us his circumstances, his situations, so that we can learn from it. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. This is a key indicator. Because we all have sin in our lives, but he's separating that from who he is because he has identity in Christ. 
So he's able to look at the scenario and say, man, I might be given into that, but that sin that keeps getting a hold of me and there's a battle of it, but I know that it's not me because I am made new in Christ, but it's the sin within me that continues to carry it out. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He's just crying out and sharing his heart and what he's facing. And I think of David as he's doing the things I know he didn't want to do, but he continued to find himself in it. How often do we continue to find ourselves because complacency trips us up? We get too comfortable in our lives that we're willing to compromise the things that we're facing. Or we're trying to control the narrative and make sure that we're the ones owning how things carry out and then we try to cover up everything we can so we can still look real pretty on the outside. Sharing our highlight reel on social media, we're inside, we're facing and battling and struggling with so many things. You're not alone. And Paul's saying, you are not alone. Because he, he follows it up with saying, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And here's what's really interesting when you read the Bible. Sometimes it can get a little bit confusing, but when the Bible was written, it wasn't like Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3. Okay, it was a letter that was written and it was broken out for a way for us to be able to identify and go to places and talk about it. Because it is so important to continue reading and not stopping there. So you have to turn to Romans 8. Because here, it's seeing our sinful nature. It's acknowledging what it was and it's saying, I need God. But in Romans 8, 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the sin who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation in Christ. See, Uriah, who was so humble and willing to go out to war and ultimately dies when he did nothing wrong, is a very good image of who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. No matter how often we make mistakes, no matter how often we live in complacency and we try to live in this comfort and control the narrative and compromise everything that we're doing and cover it up, he's still saying, you know what, but I'm going to die for you. Because through Jesus, there's no condemnation. Jesus came and he lived a life perfectly to model and show us what it looks like to love people and to live the way that God has called us to do. And through this story, we can see Jesus shining through it, not in a way we would have expected. But David's not the bad guy and neither are you. We need to live in a state of conviction and not condemnation because the Holy Spirit will convict our hearts of the things that we shouldn't be doing, the choices and decisions that we make that we shouldn't be. Because he pierces our hearts about it because he wants to help correct it because he knows the pain that it's causing for us and those around us. I'm asking Naomi to come up. I'm getting close to the end, I promise. But God is at work in each of our lives. And he was at work in David's through all of it. We have to understand the difference between condemnation, though, and conviction. There is no condemnation in Christ. Paul knew it. Do you? 
We're all bound to make mistakes. And we're talking about this giant today so that we can acknowledge it when it's happening. But if you make the mistake and continue to follow through with it, and you find yourself falling into sin, you can know that God's still going to meet you there. Psalm 51. I say go and read it all. I wish I could read all of it to you right now. But this is the song that David wrote after he had been confronted by Nathan for the sin that he had created by having this adulterous relationship and then having Uriah killed. And he pleads to God and he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Repentance is not a bad word. It means to turn away from the old way and turn toward God. And this is what David is doing here. He is repenting. He is admitting the mistakes that he's made and he is crying out to God and saying, please forgive me. To follow Jesus is about a lot of repentance, but not as a swear word, but as a, a word filled with freedom and grace. It's saying, I continue to make mistakes, but I'm going to continue to turn toward God and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Forgive me of my transgressions. Forgive me of my mistakes. And this is how Nathan replied to David after he admitted that he had sinned. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you had shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. That... There are consequences to our actions. We tell our boys that all the time. We're trying to raise up young men that love Jesus and that as they live out their life, people will look at them and say, I want what you have. Trying to be little disciple makers, but they make mistakes just like all of us do. But when they make mistakes, that's when we talk to them and we still show them love. We still let them know, even though you made that bad choice and that bad decision, there's a consequence. Your video games are gone for a week. You can't ride your bike. To us, that seems funny, but to them, it's like, no, I can't ride my bike for a week. And maybe some more fits break out beyond that. But what we always tell them is that there are consequences to your actions. Our grace is still there. Our love for you is still there. We end it by giving them a hug and telling them how much we love them, but say, hey, there's a consequence to that action. though. That's how God treats each and every one of us. So when we make bad choices, there's no condemnation in Christ, but through that conviction, there will be consequences to our actions. And God's saying the choices that you make, there's a repercussion to it. Not something that he's doing, but it's a byproduct of the choice that you've made. But he's still there to hug you. He's still there to tell you, I love you. He's still there to say, you know what? I know you made that mistake and you might be facing this consequence right now, but I still love you. There is still freedom that you have in me. And as David was going through this, I'm going to go back a little ways because in 2 Samuel 7, a prophet said this to David, when your days are over and, you're, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of the kingdom forever. He made David this promise before he ever fell into this sin. 
So the moment you've made a decision and maybe today is the day you make a decision to say yes to a relationship with Jesus and God's saying, I have a plan and purpose for your life. When you fall down again, because you will, we all fall down, but God wants to lift you back up and that promise that he gave to you before is still true then. Because guess what God did here, Bathsheba? Yeah, that first son did die, but she had another son named Samson. Solomon. I heard somebody correct me. I appreciate that. Named Solomon. But Solomon, he was one that went on to be the wisest king. He was the one that created the temple. He created a space for the Ark of the Covenant to live in. That promise that God gave David, he fulfilled through Solomon, even though it came through brokenness. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He's saying, no matter what you're facing or what you're going through, I can help you through the midst of your brokenness. And my promise has never changed. And they had to sacrifice animals to account for their sin. They had to go through these traditions and these rituals. But because of Jesus, all we have to do is turn to God and say, I'm sorry. When we step into relationship with Jesus, when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he is king, when we believe that he died for our sin and that he rose again and is seated on high in heaven, when we have that faith, we are forgiven of anything that we step into. And the promise he made on your life before you've ever made those mistakes is still the same promise after it. And the same way that they looked at David in that moment and Nathan shared with him what God was saying, we can hear directly from God through his Holy Spirit when he speaks in our heart to say, you are forgiven. I have blotted out that sin. And that happened through Jesus. That happened through the sacrifice that he made for us. Giant Slayer, the trilogy. The biggest giant I think that we face is the inner me. It's the struggles and the sin that we have within us. But the way that David responded, even though he still fell down into that rabbit hole and continued to make those mistakes, that God forgave those sins is a perfect reflection that we need to know no matter what mistakes that we make, God still forgives those sins and meets us where we're at. There is no condemnation in Christ. Someone needed to hear that today and know that today because whatever decisions you've been making, you can find yourself going down that same path that David did. But God still fulfilled that promise and he's gonna still fulfill that promise for each and every one of us, even when we fall short. But there's an importance to crying out to God and saying, God, I messed up. I need your forgiveness. And we never close a service without giving people that opportunity to respond to that. And today I want to give you an opportunity to respond, not only to step into relationship with Jesus for the first time, but maybe the first time in a long time. Maybe you've made that decision in the past, but because of mistakes you've made, you'd allow yourself to live in condemnation and you haven't stepped into the freedom that you get through Jesus. And you might need to just say, you know what? Today I'm saying yes to Jesus. I want to reestablish that relationship with Jesus or step into it for the first time because he died for me to cover up the saying that the sin that I deserve to pay the penalty for, but he paid it for us. So could I ask you in this space, if you could bow your head and close your eyes, I want to give us an opportunity to respond. And if that's you, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to shoot your hand in the air. Because you need to know, one, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he died for the sin in each of our lives and through him, you have freedom. 
two, you need to know that there is no condemnation in Christ, that he will meet you exactly where you're at and he will lift you out of the ashes and he will give you grace even when you feel like you don't deserve it. And three, if that's you, could you shoot your hand in the air today? Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. God, thank you so much for those who made that decision today. I thank you for those that you're stirring in their hearts. I thank you for those that we don't even know what you're doing and working on, God, but you've got a plan and a purpose in it. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for where I fall short, God. And I thank you so much that your grace is sufficient, that even when we do what we don't want to do, that you come in and you rescue us. We thank you that there is no condemnation in Christ, but that we can trust in you always. We thank you for forgiving our sins. We thank you that you have died for us and we believe it in our hearts. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining Soul Revival Church Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review us to help reach more people with the hope and love of Jesus. If you would like to support our ministry, you can visit us online at www.soulrevival.church.